and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Dr. Jekyll had a plan that he thought was a good one. Allow each of his natures to have free reign without interference from the other. Mr. Hyde could be as bad as he wanted without any remorse or guilt. Dr. Jekyll could be as righteous as he wanted without temptation or sin. What could go wrong? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Freedom with the first part of the message Free to Struggle, which covers Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. Thank you for joining us today. Our Father in heaven, we are going to ask you right now as our creator that you would speak to us, your creation, that you would speak in such a way that we might have minds that comprehend and hearts that embrace truth. We pray that truth would indeed set us free. Set us free from all the stuff that's drawn us down right now. That we might be freed, not just for our sake, but that we might use that freedom to honor you in a way we could not otherwise. So make this a profitable time, we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen. Alcoholics certainly understand the struggle. Those that are drug addicts, sex addicts, they understand the struggle. They're not surprised in the least. Now, they may be defeated, but they're never surprised in the struggle at hand as they fight the war within themselves. Unfortunately, I don't think we can say the same about most of us as even Christians. For us, we're surprised. We, we just are shocked almost that as Christians that we are finding the struggle that we find in the Christian life. It's almost as if it shouldn't happen to us. But little do we realize that we are sin addicts as is everyone. Now, some of us are recovering. Some of us, it's just running full board. But the reality is when we become a Christian, we're still addicts. And our addictions, they may not be in alcohol, they may not be in drug, may not be in sex. But I'll tell you, they're just as real. They're just as challenging. And if we walk into the struggle assuming there shouldn't be a struggle, we get deceived, we never are able to win the fight. What we're looking at this week and next week is the freedom that we have to struggle. We're in the book of Romans, and it's chapter 6 and 7. The series is entitled Freedom. We've already looked at chapter 6, which is freedom, and it's the freedom from sin. We've talked about chapter 7, 1 through 13. It talks about the freedom that we have from the law. Now, this week and next week, we conclude the series, and we talk about the freedom that we have to struggle. We actually have a freedom to struggle. Each October, and it's now been, I'm sure, over 25 years, there's a group of us as pastors. We gather from all over the country. There's about, no, oh, 15 to 18 of us as a rule. If everybody showed up, maybe 20. We call it the gathering of friends. Every year we gather. These are pastors from all over. These pastors talk about, we talk about theology, we talk about Christian living. We talk about culture. 
We talk about issues of the church. We talk about all kinds of things. In fact, we meet now here at Perimeter Church. Met here this last October. It was in one of those meetings many, many, many years ago, and memory does not serve me to know when and how long and what the discussion really was, but somehow in it, I assume as we were just talking about Christian living and the struggle, I don't know. But one of the members, though you would know the name, Tim Keller, many of you know that name, one of the great theologians and Bible teachers today. And Tim suggested to us, he said, if you really, really want to kind of get a, a handle and an insight into Romans 7 struggle, you ought to read Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That's where I got that idea. So years ago, probably had not read that book since maybe my school days, and so I got the book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and I started reading it. Having already studied and known quite a bit of Romans chapter 7, I was astounded to see how it came alive when I saw that story. It was a picture. And I began to see the realities that are taught in Romans 7 in a clearer way. I've mentioned to many of you in the past weeks, if you've been a part of the series, I encourage you to read the book. Certainly don't have to. It doesn't make the study impossible by any means. But what I have done is made available to you, if you're interested, I pulled out four little multiple paragraphs that came under four segments that I entitled that I think is the really heart where the punch of what this book offers. For those that say, I'm not going to read it, don't want to read it, you can go to our podcast notes. By the way, every week, anything that goes up on this screen that I put up, quotes, whatever it may be, it's there available. It's free of charge, so it doesn't go up till Tuesdays. But be aware, that's always available to you. I would encourage you, you might want to go on and just read that and get a little feel for this. But the story, for those that are new with us, of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because I'm going to be referring to this, the story is simply of a good Dr. Jekyll who finds himself very dissatisfied with life because of a war within him between two selves, a conscientious self and a coveting self. And so he thought, if I could separate the two, then I can enjoy either and both of those. So he comes up with a potion. The potion enables him to turn into the Mr. Hyde, where the conscientious self is not such an issue. He's just Hyde. Hidden within us all is a Mr. Hyde. The problem is he finds his potion wearing off, and now he begins to turn into Mr. Hyde without taking the potion, and pretty soon he can't even get a potion, and he realizes, I'm stuck with Mr. Hyde. That's who I am. And as such, he says, I can't live, and he actually takes his life. He said, Mr. Hyde is that bad. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to invite you, if you will, to open your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 7. I'm going to, as you're opening your Bibles, I'm going to give you some summary teaching of the entire series really quickly. These are the big high points. If you want to dig further into them, again, go back and get the podcast. But here they are, six summary teachings. Number one, Christians are dead to sin and are alive to God and his spirit. This is where we talked about, if you were with us, here you and I are... Uh, you and I are when we come into this world and this is our sin nature and we come in like this we are bound to sin and then we die to sin death means separation as we separate now God's spirit now clasped with us we're under his authority he now is our master 
But this still exists as a sin nature. Number two, Christians must appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit by considering these truths, that is, that we're separated, united with Christ, raised up to newness of life, and surrendering their body, entire being, and its members to God as instruments of righteousness. Now, I labored hard on this one one week because, in my opinion, this is the most important teaching of my entire ministry. I will say that anywhere I go to preach, somebody says, would you preach? If I'm preaching there, if I've never done it, I say, I'm giving this sermon Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, and the reason is because I know it is my lifeline to obedience. If I don't understand and if I'm not appropriating the power of God's spirit, then I know I'm resolved to live in the power of the flesh and I am not going to be able to succeed. Very important. Next one, number three, until becoming a Christian, Every person is married to the law. So we said, if you're married to the sin nature, you are automatically married to the law. To our own condemnation, we are married to the law. Number four, though the law is good, and it is certainly good, it is a terrible marriage partner, bringing condemnation and death to its spouse. Number five, once divorced from an abusive relationship with the law, one can serve God in a newness of the spirit. So once we die to sin and this separation takes place, we also separate from the law in its condemnation. And now that law becomes a friend, number six. The goodness of the law is seen in that it exposes, provokes, and condemns sin. So if you want to put that into a a little formula for the entirety of what we're saying, particularly as it relates to the law, I put it this way, law minus grace equals an abusive spouse the law is an abusive spouse without grace but add grace meaning you become a a believer grace enters into your life experience law plus grace makes law one's very best of friends very important to understand that now what we're going to see in our text today though it's a difficult text in reading I'm going to make it as simple as I possibly can But in doing so, this is going to be reading the man what we'll call the Apostle Paul Jekyll. The Apostle Paul Jekyll is going to reveal to his readers, he's going to reveal his Mr. Hyde, and he's going to show us how he feels about his Mr. Hyde, and he's going to let us into the struggle that he has with his Mr. Hyde. And we get to learn a lot. And by the way, this should be a sense of where we say, whew, I feel good. Paul, if you're dealing with that, it makes me feel a lot better about what I'm experiencing because I'm experiencing the same thing. It's the very same struggle, whether it be the Apostle Paul or you and me. Now, as we've been doing in this series, because I, I, I want you to see the whole of the text at one time to kind of get the bigger picture, I'm going to ask you, let's stand and honor the Word of God. Let's read it. Certainly not a requirement to do this. There's no tradition here that we'll always do it. But this is an opportunity where I want to read it in its full. I think it'd be good. Just stand, give your attention, standing before the word of God. And this is what it says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. 
So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Now that's the end of the reading of our text for today. But I'd like to draw your attention to the last two verses that we'll look at next week. Because all being said, no good without what comes last. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Now, folks, this is God's infallible word. It's given to us for our instruction so that we might find freedom to serve him. Let's break it open. Take your seats. Let's look at it for a few minutes. Three truths. We're going to look at the first two. And uh, again, the third one next week. Number one being, every Christian lives with an enemy. Now, let's take the text and let's piece it together now. Let's take a little bit at a time and, and, and see how it weaves together. The first text we look at is verse 17, and then we'll look at verse 20. It says, so now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Verse 20. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, this can be confusing. You read this, and you think, wow, what is he saying? It sounds like he's not responsible for his sin. It's, it's some sin in him that's doing it, and kind of he's kind of not responsible. Well, if you read the first three chapters of Romans, you will see Paul speaking on his own behalf, describing the story of everybody. And he says, look, we are responsible for our sin. In no way does he push aside his own responsibility, never. He says, I know I've got a sin nature, and the reason I have a sin nature is because I sin. And that sin brings me the nature. In chapter 5, he explains how all of that makes, is made right, even because of Adam. But he's not finding that, some of you older, older people, I mean really older people, you may remember the comedian Flip Wilson. Some of you remember, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. I didn't do it. The devil made me do it. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying I am fully responsible, but you've got to know this. That at one time, I was bound like this to my own sin, my responsibility. But that sin, I died to that sin. And now, there are two natures in me. And that's the difference. Those who really understand the scriptures live with a two-nature understanding. I have my old sin nature, I have a new nature. 
And now he's just talking about, hey, this old nature that's out a part of my being, it is what is fighting with me all the time. So, two natures. Now, I will say that you will read, if you read commentaries of the Scripture, if you listen to some that teach the book of Romans chapter 7, they are going to teach, it's become very popular today to teach, that this is not Paul speaking of him being a Christian. He is speaking B.C., before Christ. And he's just simply giving, this is what life was like before I became a Christian. Folks, I'm going to suggest that is not true. I don't want to take a lot of time going into it. Some of you are young to the Bible. It's not that critically important to you. Uh, some would love to know some reasons a little further. I'll just give it this much. Here are four quick reasons that this is not him looking back to his old description as a non-Christian. There's a change of verb tenses between verses 13 and 14. Prior, verses 1 through 13, everything's past tense. He's talking about what it was to be an unbeliever under the power of the law. When he comes to verse 14, our text today, let me tell you, it's present tense. He's saying this is what is. This is what I'm going through. So change of tenses alone should be enough. In addition to that, his opinion of himself, seeing the deep sin of his life, that is indicative of a true Christian. We talked about it last week. Spiritual people see themselves as sinful. The, the people who are truly sinful in the sense that they're not been made righteous, they see themselves as pretty good. Boy, he sees his sin through and through. In verse 22, you see his love for the law. The words literally, delight in the law. Non-believers don't delight in the law. They may keep the law in their best effort, but they don't delight in it. And then verse 19, he says, the good that I want. His desire for holiness is speaking of a true Christian. I think every reason imaginable tells us this is him introducing us to his Mr. Hyde as a Christian. And so our text basically, well, in this first point, is that he's saying we live with an enemy. It is a very real enemy. It's an old nature within us. He's going to call it the flesh later on. And he says, in the effort to fight this enemy, we can not win, comma, without help. That's the teaching. He never teaches that we can't win. He says we cannot win without help. I like Galatians 5, 17. It goes like this. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Now this is him speaking, uh, writing in the book of Galatians, another book of the Bible. There's no question he's talking to the Christian here. So I don't think we should ever go back and say, oh, that was, he was a non-Christian. No, 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 no. That's his story. Let's look at number two now. All right. Our second and final point. Every Christian shares a common struggle. Shares a common struggle. Now, he's going to describe the battle twice, and I assume he does it for just emphasis. He repeats. But you see it described first in verses 14 through 17. It goes like this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So then, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin 
which dwells in me. Now he's going to pick up on verse 18, and he's going to almost say the same thing. It's the basic same truth. He kind of says it a little different way, and helpful for that reason. He says, for, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, very important to know, the 7 through 13, verses 7 through 13, describes the unbeliever's inability to keep the law. These verses talk about the believer and their inability to keep the law, as I've already said, without help. So there's the emphasis. I'm going to keep saying that. He's saying, yes, you can keep it, but you cannot do it without help. Now, Paul is going to go next, and he's going to explain the struggle. And uh, he's going to expose to us the, the no-goodness, we'll call it, of the flesh. And this is how he says it in verse 21. Verse 21 says, I find in the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Now, principle actually means law or governing rule of some sort. So he's now going to explain this principle, and he's going to actually show two principles or laws within us. And this is how he does in verses 22 and 23. He says, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind, underscore that in your mind, the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So now what he's doing is he's saying, look, we've got, we've got these two principles or laws. We've got the law of the mind and we've got the law of the flesh. And what he's saying is, here now, I've become a Christian, I've died to sin, my mind has been renewed. We now think differently. But the flesh within us, the flesh has not been renewed. I have been given the spirit to now bond with me in my nature, so now I am one with him. But I have a sin nature, and he talks about that and its influence on our members and bodies, and he says, look, here's the thing. The law of the mind has been renewed, but the law of sin nature, that old nature has not been renewed. It is everything it's always been. Therefore, there's going to be this mighty clash. There's going to be a fight that continues until death. So we don't move from war to peace when we become a Christian. What we do is we, we move to a battle that we cannot ultimately lose. Now, we can lose as many skirmishes as possible. The battle, we're going to win. But the issue is, how are we going to live day to day? Are we going to win it or are we going to lose it? Maybe you think of it like this as I close this second point. It's somewhat like the story of a burglar. Uh, Here, a burglar comes in and and maybe they apprehend you, the owner of the home, and uh, and they bind you to the chair and and you can't can't do anything. You're, You're helpless. You're absolutely helpless. And then that one can abuse you, that one can steal from you, that one can do anything they want. You have no capability of fighting. But then let's assume that someone enters in and they come into that home and see the situation and they release your binding. Now you're free to fight. Got a problem though. The problem is I'm who I am and this guy is a, you know, 
a fifth degree black belt. He's got a gun. He's got this. He's got that. He's got all this weaponry. And I, you know, I can fight him, but he's going to whip me unless I get some help. And then the last two verses of our text come up. The last two verses, which is saying, okay, I've now been freed. How do I win that battle? How am I ever going to win? And the answer is going to be in the last two verses. And here it is. Verses 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am. I'm not a very good fighter. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Who's going who's to help me in this battle against this, this old nature? Thanks be to God. Here's the one that enters, Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. And we're going to go into that in greater detail and we're going to take the table next week. And that's going to be a great climax to this series. So with that, we will look next week at every Christian has only one hope for deliverance, verses 24 and 25. Now, I'd like to close the time that I have here. I'd like to close just giving some implications from this text. This text and, and particularly just the struggle at large that he's describing. And I'm going to give it to you in five statements. And I think this is the best way I could figure out to say, all right, make it simple, make it clear, make it applicable. Number one, you and I have a hide within us. I don't care if we're not a Christian, we are a Christian. We got to hide. That hide is real. He is so real. He has authority over the non-Christian. He has no authority over the Christian. But though he has no authority, he is begging for authority. He is asking permission through temptation to say, let me reign. Listen to me. Don't listen to God. And there's this constant battle, this war going on. Please don't believe that now that you're a Christian, the old nature is gone. It is not gone. I like the way Martin Luther said it. Many, many years ago, I'll put the quote up. He says, when I became a believer, I thought I'd drown the old nature in me. But the rascal knew how to swim. <laughs> now, he has a good perspective. He says, I, I got to keep my eye on this guy, you know. He's, he is still very, 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 very real. And we have to know that. Now... What I've been doing, and I do this in the entire teaching ministry of this church. You, you, if you've been here long, you know this. We teach here a particular view of man. I've said it through the years. It's like golf. You know, you've got to have the right grip, posture, alignment. And your right grip is an understanding of who you are. And if you don't get who you are, then nothing else is going to make. You'll never hit the ball right because your grip will be wrong. You've you got to get the right grip. Well, this is it right here, and, and we teach here a perspective about man. There are two unbiblical perspectives, and I think we see them maybe through the eyes of the political world. There are the, the liberal political people. Their view, basically, if they're consistent with the kind of the, the bigger system, they're basically saying man is good. Man is good. And therefore, if you just create the right environment around them, then they're going to get better and better and better and better. So we just got to give them this and make sure they have this, make sure they get this, make sure they get that, and, get, 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 get. and there's the more liberal political perspective. It's based on a very unbiblical view of man. 
Now, if you go to the political conservatives, they have a view of man that man is bad, not so good, but he's not dead. Therefore, create laws. Come up with the right laws. Be sensible about laws. Create this law. And then you enforce those laws and you get people to become better people. And that's the way you do it. You just, they're not good, but they can be made good if you just structure around them the laws that they need. I heard that years and years ago. Not sure where I got it. But it's made so much sense. It is so true. I watched the years. That's, that's the way it works, isn't it? There is there's a reality in which the biblical view of man is somewhat pessimistic because it says, no, man is dead. They're so evil. Mankind is dead in their trespasses and sins. And they cannot be made better. It just doesn't happen that way. So pessimistic. But on the other hand, the most optimistic of all, because this same view says man is dead but can be made alive for all eternity. Ultimately, it's the most optimistic. But people hear the story of, oh, we're sin and we're wrong and we got bad on us, we got Mr. Hyde in us, and oh, they're so pessimistic. As I said last week or the week before, let me tell you, uh, to preach a biblical perspective of man is not a great formula for church growth, but it is an incredible recipe, incredible recipe for spiritual growth. So if you want, if you truly want the heart to come alive, tell it it's dead. Treat it as if it's dead. That's the only way you do it. It happens that way. Parenting. This affects our parenting. How do you parent? Do you parent with a view that the child is good? Ah, the good kid. We just put them in the right environment. They'll be better. Oh, that kid's got some struggles, problem. You know, we just put the right rules around, and we let them live with the right rules long enough. They're going to be good people. And we forget that, no, the heart's dead. Somebody better treat the heart and not just the mind, not just the environment. You've got to go to the heart. It all gets back to what is your view of man, critically critically important I had a, a friend years ago who called me I'd been working with him spiritually and he'd been watching a television program one of the TV preachers very familiar name and boy I was enamored with the fact that he's saying you're good you're good everything can be good it's going to be good in your life you can be good you're good and just keep you know let the good come out let the good come out and I have to say that's like that's like telling a man to get a hysterectomy because he doesn't feel good. <laughs> say, what? Do you not understand that, that man does not have the organs to require that surgery? It would do, what do you, you're totally, totally, to, that's, just, that's theologically how far off we are. When we say, oh, you can make bad people good. You can't do that. So let's go to number two, and each of them won't take this long, but number two, our hide is much worse than we realize. It is so much worse, so powerful in part because it's so well hidden. But if we could see it, we couldn't stand it. Many have, many have grieved and, and deal constantly with the problem of lost loved ones that have now deceased. 
and you say, you know, I, I don't even want to believe what I believe because the application of my belief says that that loved one I love so much is perishing right now. And I just can't imagine that God would allow that. I can't imagine a good God would let somebody as wonderful as my friend, oh, my parent, my whoever, I, though I know they weren't a Christian, but they're just, it just tells us this, they don't really know how hideous Mr. Hyde really is. I have a parent, father, who I have no assurance he's in heaven. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with it with your parents or your whoever? Have you ever seen one of the movies such as, uh, this is way outdated, I know, but uh, Men in Black, but it's any kind of movie where aliens take over bodies. And you see those people and they just seem to be so sweet and kind and gracious and wonderful and just, oh, I love these people. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) and you jump back and you say, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. If we could see the hide in us, we'd say, kill us. And that's what happened to Jekyll and Hyde. When he saw what Hyde really was like, how wicked he really was, he said, kill it. And he takes his life. That's the same story with us. If we could see whoever it is, ourselves included, we'd say, kill it. Which leads us to the third. And that is without the law as our potion, we will never see the hideousness of Hyde. That's why the the word of God is so important. Uh, The secret's why we would say, if, if you want to want God... Obviously, you don't want him because you haven't embraced him yet. But if you're probably here because you want to want God, here's the answer. Just delve into the word of God and let it, let it sear the heart and show you. Put that spotlight on your heart. Let it be like the beehive that gets, gets poked and it stirs the bees and you see how wicked it really is. Man, that's all it takes. See the condemnation the law describes about those that don't keep it perfectly. And that's what creates the heart for grace Christians if you want to love God more you say I'm a Christian I just don't love the Lord that much I don't have have the deep conviction I don't have the passion I wish I had more well get in the word of God people say I wish I just loved the Lord more but my two minute devotions reading a devotional book or having a verse or two reading a psalm no 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 you got to go further than that if you really want to love God in a deeper way number four only after seeing the hideousness of our hide will we crave and appreciate the glory of the gospel. You see, Jesus had no hide. You know that? He didn't have a Mr. Hyde. The only person that had no Mr. Hyde. And he became Mr. Hyde for you and me. And then he took our hide, gave himself, gave his own life so that he could destroy it right now destroy the authority it had over us and in eternity to destroy it forever where we'll never see it and that leads to number five even when we see the hideousness of our hide we will continuously have a lifetime of struggle so don't be discouraged that you're struggling be discouraged that I'm not winning in the fight And if you're not winning in the fight, it's because you, me, I have the same problem because I start fighting the burglar. 
Instead of saying, Jesus, you freed me. You go fight for me. And by the way, I'll kick him while you got him down. <laughs> but I'm not going to take him down. Only you can do that. When you begin to understand who you really are, and you see the Mr. Hyde in you, that's when you say, oh, give me the grace. Something's got to put this thing to death. And you'll look to him instead of yourself. Let's pray together. Our Father, I, I pray for our friends that are here that are yet to know the freedom from sin and the freedom from the law. And Lord, who would invite that struggle right now to become dead to sin to be able to find themselves now dead to the law and be alive to you God show them the work on Calvary's cross let them see it may it overwhelm them give them a clear good insight and picture of the hide within and for those of us that are Christians we pray all of us would say Lord let us see our hide even more though we hate it it repulses us thank you that it shows us the amazing grace that covers that Mr. Hyde. We are thankful. So Lord, would you grant that we might serve you this week greater than we ever have simply because you granted our request that truth would come and truth would set us free. We thank you and we ask it in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.